peeps. Welcome into Unscripted and Unprepared, brought to you by Real Screen Magazine. I'm Jimmy Fox, and this episode is my sit-down with Sally Ann Salsano, the queen of reality TV, the founder of 495, the executive producer of Too Many Shows to Name, which obviously includes the legendary, iconic, Hall of Fame, Jersey Shore. Doing this a little differently this time around on the intro, I am in my car. And it is pouring rain here in Los Angeles. It is 6.47 a.m. And I'm driving to the office in order to record this Zoom interview with Sally Ann Salsano. Why? Because I've got too many people staying at my house. It was my six-year-old's birthday this weekend. So I've got the in-laws. I've got sister and brother-in-law. I've got two nephews staying at my house. And when Sally Ann Salsano assistant says, you finally got her. After three years of chasing her, she's ready to do the podcast. I've slotted one hour for you. And that hour is Wednesday at 7.30 a.m. When you get told that, after three years of trying to get this Hall of Famer on the podcast, you get to a quiet spot. So here I am. In order to make a 7.30 Zoom with Sally Ann Salsano, I'm in my car, in the rain, driving to the office, and I hope to get to the office on time and ready so I can set up my mic and my computer and pull off this interview. Uh, this is one that I've been chasing for a while, guys. I hope it happens. I hope she has fun. I hope by the end of this uh, sit-down, I can say I'm friends with Sally Ann Salsano. Is that too much? Maybe that's too much to expect. Maybe that's, maybe that's a selfish motive. I don't know. But I can't wait for this. It's been a long time coming. All right, I'm going to go because I'm about to get on the 405. And this is already dangerous enough. I'm breaking the law. I'm holding the phone in my hand. Don't try that at home, kids. This is my sit-down with Sally Ann Salsano. I hope you enjoy it. Okay. Okay, cool. Now I'm recording. Okay, great. Let me text essay. Um, I sent the link. Me and Jimmy are on. There you go. There you go. Uh, I brought a special guest. <laughs> you know. Wonderful. Okay, we're recording. We're good. Okay, okay good. So oh, and you're a freaking lifesaver. You're the best. Oh my god, are you in the garage at the office? No, I was at the gym. <laughs> oh my god, I'm sorry. Thank you. No, so it's fine. Much. I literally was leaving. Let me okay. try to end it and make one of you the host and see if that should. I, I think you it should have be to fine. make Jimmy the host because he's yeah. like, I'm writing bitch to him. Okay. <laughs> if I think, he's right, try. I'm gonna try, and then if, if for some reason something doesn't if weird happens, I'll, I'll let you know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Let's rock. Okay. All right. So how, how common are 730 Zooms for you? Let's start there. Um, I actually am an insane morning person. So I start between four and 430 every day. Oh and my God. yeah. And people will literally 
say like, oh my God, oh my God, I don't know. It just genuinely works for me. And I've always been this way. Like since I was, I was never the teenager that like slept all day and did all that stuff. Like I was the kid that was like up and at him on a Saturday. Um, My mom was like a real like sleeper. And my dad was like me up at four, went to work, did all that. And my dad and I were like chummy morning friends. But where it's super annoying, I would imagine to be my friend, a coworker, um, whatever it is, is I'm not real. I'm kind of a night person too. So, so how like many my, hours on sleep, uh, how many hours of sleep on average do you get a night? Probably between four and six, if it's like amazing, but like, I'm pretty good. Like I, if I'm in a control room, I could stay up for like days, like oh. seven days. Like it doesn't even matter to me. Like I just that's fine. But if I am in an office working, I definitely need to like, I max out and try and go to bed by like 10 or 11. Like I really, I really do. Cause the thing I've always marveled about you is not only the frequency of which you get shows on the air and how many shows you are managing, but the fact that you are also one of the bona fide hands-on production company heads that is still a showrunner. And you are in the control room living it on production every day. And I was coming into this podcast thinking, how does she get it all done? But now I have my answer. You just don't sleep. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting. Like, I think I'm lucky and it's a little bit, you know, demented potentially, but like my hobby is also my job, right? So we're, again, it's probably tricky to be around me at times, but like, I'm like, oh my God, it's a Saturday. It's so fun. Who wants to talk about next? No, wait, 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 describe that. What do you, what do you mean tricky to be around you? Well, because I mean, I will go like, all right, we're going home. I will literally just stay like um, I don't even require anyone else to be around me. Just for me, I get like if I'm in the middle of something or I'm on some kind of a. Oh, sorry. We're literally shooting as we speak right now. I have another Zoom going. Good morning. Sorry. I didn't mute that shoot. Good morning. Um, so. um it's interesting. Like I enjoy the different parts of the day. Like for me, uh, Jersey Shore is great for a million reasons. And I love that show and I love that cast. But also like um, one of my main showrunners on that show lives on the East Coast. Right. And she's a morning person. So this is like party time USA for me. So like every day at 4.30 in the morning, I'm like, hey, Ash, what's going on? And she's like, you want to hop on? I'm like, yeah. And she's sitting with her cup of coffee and I'm sitting with my cup of coffee. And we literally go through stuff in a way that is completely uninterrupted. So you've, you know? never, lost, you've never lost even an ounce of passion for the work since you um, no, I really, really, really like making the shows. I think in fairness, some shows um, are genuinely, there are some shows that I can genuinely say like, wow, I really make that better. And every single day, you know, and then I think there are some shows that you have to like set your format mm -hmm. and really just make it clean, make it concise, make it, you know, whatever, maintain quality control. 
but I've been really lucky. I have the greatest team, right? Like I have great people around me, which I think allows me to show run and do stuff when I want to. Like in theory, do I have to? Probably not. Do some of my showrunners like, come on, sister, just go home. I would guarantee yes. Um, but I also try and say like, I'm not here because anyone needs me. Like sometimes I'm there because I want to be. Were you, okay, so like, you I want to be part of the gang. Like, but I think the thing, I never want to be the person that when you go in the control room, it gets quiet, you uh -huh. know, and everyone's like, oh my God, don't let her know what's happening. I'm always like, when things are good, I'm uneasy, right? Like I get like, oh, we got to get whatever when it's like normal. If there is a genuine crisis happening, I am probably the calmest person in the room. But if everything is going like totally normal, that's when I tend to be like, all right, and like whip myself up. When because everything's when everything's normal, you're assuming something must be wrong. Yeah. And I'm assuming that like I it, on screen, when everything's yes. going well on screen, I, I I like it to go well behind the scenes, don't get me wrong. But on screen, like if it's like just happening, I'm like, whoa, this feels a little too easy. You know, like. If it's happening the way we thought, is it too predictable? Is the audience going to think that as well? Like, that's always my thing. And it's my thing with a lot of network execs. And it's it's funny, when the, with the casting process changing, I think it hurts sometimes the show because I tend to be attracted to and I love characters that I'm like, I love them. I can't figure out what they're going to do next. And I that is what you want, right? But I'm fascinated by them. And every time I call them, it's something different. It's something crazy. And I think depending on your network executive, there's people that are like, can I get their storylines? What you think it'll be for this season? I'm like, I know how it's going to start. And listen, I'll do the work, the paperwork. If you want paperwork, I could do it. But um, if I come back with what's on this paper, I believe that I have failed us all. Because oh, wow. that's the thing, right? There's so much like mm. reality that is not, that is very contemplated in advance and signed off on by people. And I always say like, all right, like, like if I come back with this, we're all screwed. Because I really do believe that like on some level, yes, I do formatted shows. I know what's happening in every act. I do game, I do talk. I know all of that. But when you're shooting a true reality show, other than your tempo moments, the reactions to it should completely take you by surprise. And like Jersey's one of those examples. I had a shoot last when I had a cancel on you. I'm sorry. Um, we had a shoot and it went completely awry. And like it was a weird prank that we were doing. We were like, it's not gonna work, no one's gonna believe it. And it went haywire. And like the cast is crying. I'm like, oh my God, what is happening? How are they believing this? Like, there's no way I would think that. I was thinking they're going to be like, you guys are so stupid. But in reality, it goes bananas. And like, that's what I still love. You know, like I love the unpredictability of it. But I also miss in a real good old fashioned, like this is an exciting group of people. This is a crazy world. Let's see what happens. Well, let's 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 use that as a jumping off point because you're saying you, you miss... You missed that era. I want to talk to you about our mutual love just for the, the medium of reality TV, right? Because I'm told, I'm told that you watch everything. I love it. Like, honestly, I also like will email network executives like watch the show last night. Here's what I'm thinking. Like, by the way, 
who cares what I'm thinking? But like, I just also know when people email me and they're watching my content, like it, like it, oddly, it means a lot. Like we yeah. all work so hard right now. Yeah. And even if someone's just sampling, even if someone doesn't like it, I just think that like, we're more of a community than people give us credit for. I think like, you know, you always root against the competition. I think it's the opposite. Like I root for the competition, right? If it's a hit for one, it's good for us all. It's like, it's, we're still charging along. Like Wait, so tell I me, love that. Tell me what era of shows you miss or what do you, what would you bring back? If you could bring back any of your favorites, what do you think should come back? Because I miss the era of just crazy loud formats that were just created just for the sake of being a, a loud reality format, like the Joe Schmo show or Beauty and the Geek or, you know, Tool All Academy, which you did. I mean, like Tool Academy, every network executive is like, we want our Tool Academy. I'm like, do Tool Academy. It is not that hard. I have good news. I said this when we were making the show. They're like, how are you going to keep doing this? I'm like, a tool is born every second of every day. Like tools are just born. They're raised. They're bred. They're a part of our society. Right. But for those for those that don't know, though, Sally, Ann, explain to the audience what was Tool Academy. Tool Academy is probably the first iteration of F-Boy, if you want to be honest. That's yeah. really what it was, you know? And I feel like, you know, and I pitch shows with F-Boy in the title and people are like, you can't say that. And I'm like, I would email back those executives. Well, someone else did. You know what I mean? So it is kind of like interesting in that sense where like, I love those people and they're stars. And I sometimes think like, Good behavior and I feel like sometimes the most outrageous characters at the heart are your biggest pussycats and mm. are your softest of people. Mm. And I would say if you don't know me, I think you don't really know like who I am. And anyone who knows me probably will say I'm probably the most sensitive person you'll meet. Um, But it's interesting. And I feel that way about characters on reality shows, right? Like I'm always like, what is really going on? Like, this is the exterior. And sometimes it's interesting. Like you used to pitch the loudest characters, right? And people would be like, that's amazing. Now it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, that's polarizing. I'm like, exactly. But like sometimes putting them on the, putting them in the chair and doing your interviews and doing all of that stuff, you know that there are places that you can go. They are revealing stuff to you that is so very different than what they're saying in their interview. But if you have to put that on a casting reel, right, you will blow it for the show. You can't make them that self-aware before the show starts. Mm. But if you know that like person A is really going to evolve to person B, that's exciting. The thing is, if you have to prove it all up top, you're kind of blowing it. Right. If that makes sense. All right. So I want to go to the beginning. I want to get yeah. to the beginning of, of young Sally Ann. Cause I yeah. heard you, I heard you say in an interview that you were basically living the life of Snooki in your early twenties. You, I think there's some interview you described just your young life as I was a Snooki. I was like, you know, part of a part of this culture. Like that's why I was able to get the show on, but you also describe yourself as a morning person. So were you always like, I don't want to, say, I don't want to call you a busybody, but were you always like, were you like class president? Were you always getting things done? Were you I producing? was for sure. I was for sure president of my sorority. That is no okay. lie. There you go. Um, that's for sure. 
And I feel like I was always like in the mix, let's say, right? But it was just kind of like, I like to be wherever the story was or the drama was, but I don't like necessarily to be a part of it, if that makes sense. But it's like in college, I had this job, which I think is the telltale sign of it all, right? If you think of like, where did it all start? Um, it, we used to call it like, it was, uh, you know, no one had iPhones. I'm 107, right? So it was like a different era. And you would go to these sorority and fraternity parties and there was a company called Party Pick, right? And you would go there with your camera, you would load film and you would take all the pictures at formals and date parties and sorority and fraternity events and like the basketball team, whatever it was. And you would go there and take photos. You had to go for two hours and you got, it was $10. You got $5 an hour and you would go and do it, right? But the more pictures you sold, the better off you were. So the later in the night you stayed, you'd get those group drunken party pictures and everyone would order the photos. So if you'd be like, oh, 120 people go, you know, everyone would buy that one photo, right? It was like right. using your business mind to get in there. And then what started happening was people found out that I was like, you know, they would know me from the parties and like, I was not a wallflower and people would be like, all right, essay, here's the thing. So my boyfriend is totally <laughs> on me, I think. Here's the party. You have to go there, take photos of him and whatever girl he's at the formal with. So I was kind of like in the mix that way, but it was always so fun. And I feel like, but I was not partying per se. It's kind of like I'm doing now. I think one of the reasons why we can be successful is because behind the scenes, we're super buttoned up. We follow the rules. I'm like actually a nerd at heart. I don't want anyone to be mad. Like, I don't want the network executive to be mad at me. I don't want this. Like, we have to follow the rules. We can't do that. <laughs> like, all, all that kind of stuff. And I think that's what allows us to be, potentially push it a little further with a little bit of chaos. But we, but as a, at a young age, did you know you always wanted to work in entertainment? Were there no. some shows that no. inspired you? No, no. I would no. I did not even know it was an option. I literally had no idea. Because you grew I, up where? Where'd you grow up? I grew up, up in Long Island. In and you Long went to college Island, where? In the University of Missouri. I went to Mizzou. Okay. Okay. And I went to school to be an accountant is what I went to school to become. Okay. And then you had to like, I wound up getting an internship in the accounting department at the Sally Jesse Raphael show. Oh, so that was that was the internship that got you to Sally Jesse. Okay. That was the internship that got me to Sally Jesse. And then we were there and it was like two women went missing one night. Let's call them ladies of the night. And the EP was like, hey, everyone's got to go out and look for these people. And, you know, kind of jokingly was like, don't come back without them. I was like, okay. And at one o'clock in the morning, I found said women walking the streets and I brought them back to the studio. I called the EP at one o'clock in the morning and she's like, what are you doing? What are you still out looking? Oh, no, 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 no. I was like, well, I have them. What do I do now? She's like, what? I was like, I don't know. I'll like order them food and hang out with them. And then like in the morning, we'll be ready for the show. And that they offer, offered me a job. I was just about to go so Long Island, Orford. Um, they offered me a job and they tried to get like, say, don't go back to school. And so my dad was like, that is so not happening. If they love you, you will do this, get your degree. And then when you're done, go do whatever you want to do. But like, we're not flipping stuff now. Like but my parents. But, but, but isn't that, isn't that an encapsulation of what producing is? Just it get, is. And just getting she stuff like, done. Yeah. And like not giving up. Right. I think with the producer, it's like, there's that old joke. And I think like, 
not to like, listen, I think, you know, Chris Jenner's a genius, but like Kim said it last season in a show, <clears throat> in an interview, not that I'm a, you know, watcher or anything, but she basically said, my mom says, if someone says no, you've asked the wrong person. And I'm like, yeah, you know, like you have to keep trying. There are certain shows I will not let die. I will take them out eight, 10 years any show that we've sold right away has probably likely not been uber successful. It's the shows that normally you, cause I think that's easy. It's the shows that sometimes die and you're like, no, there's something here. And if it propels you to keep going, then I believe there's something there. If you pitch something and it doesn't go and you're like, all right, we tried. Then I feel like so Maybe you've it's got yours fighting for. So you've yeah. got yours. You've got your projects you've been trying to pitch for years and, and can't get set up, but you won't you won't let them die. You won't no, give up. No, we joke around. We feel like we are seven years, like we take shows sometimes and we're like, oh, it's a seven-year itch. Now it's that. Like we pitch the ultimatum literally with the same title. I was saying the other day, I'm like, there was a sizzle that we did. I think the name was called this, blah, blah, blah. And we brought it up and I was like, it was called The Ultimatum. It was literally the same show. But that happens to everybody. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Like yeah. there's only so many ideas. There's so many talented people. It's timing. It's timing. It's being in the right place at the right time. But like, I watch that show and I'm not like mad at it. I'm like, I just wanted to be there. You know, like sometimes I'm like, hey, can I come work on that show? Like I would go be a segment producer on someone else's show. On, I just love some of the shows so much that I'm like, it would be so fun to just work on. Wait, so did you, you went back to Mizzou though and you graduated? I went back, I graduated, I graduated a semester early. Um, and then the day after I graduated, I started at the Sally show. And how and many I, years I, were you there? Five years. Oh my God. I mean, talk about a boot camp and just learning everything, right? It was. It was a massive boot camp. And not only that, it was um, I found my greatest group of friends there. Like some of my like best friends in the world are st well, still my best friends in the world. They're all industry people. And we were all interns together. So I was Corey Abraham's intern. She was my boss, my first person I ever worked I didn't know. With. I didn't know this. Oh, yeah, um, for sure. Stephanie Lidecker, I hired as an intern. And then we became like, and still are besties. Oh, my God. Um, Jocelyn Green. There's like a whole pack of us that all came out of Sally. Ashley um, Tortorello, who's now like one of my showrunners on Jersey Shore. She was like my office mate. And she's the person that got me my, like, um, I went to the shore with her for the first time. Mm -hmm. She was like, what do you mean you're not partying at the shore? What are you doing? I was like, I don't know. My parents used to bring me to Cape May. She's like, that's like fancy Jersey shore. And my parents were not fancy. I was in a motel. Don't get it twisted. But she was like, okay. And then another girl that we worked with named Joan Petroselli, who was like one of the showrunners on Maury, just until it wrapped, she got me my first share. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what is this Jersey Shore world? This Long Island Hamptons thing, we have it all wrong. The Jersey Shore is literally what it is. And from that point forward, I went every single year. And then when the Jersey thing came up, it, it transformed into the Jersey Shore, I think because of like what we lived being down there. But mm -hmm. if I didn't live that culture, like I don't think I would have come at it from the same way. You know, I, I, just, I just had this conversation with somebody the other day that it's it's not always the idea. It's the person pitching the idea. And if the network thinks you're the producer to make that idea, 
right? And they knew that you lived it. You knew the culture. Who better to find this cast than you based on your connection to it? What was Shelly Tatro called me? And she was literally like, okay, Guido to Guido. I'm like, what? What? And she was like, okay, someone talked to me about this show about Guidos and you have to produce it. I'm like, I am not doing that. Like, no. She's like, you're the only Guido that I know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Shelly. And it was a competition show at when it first started. And that's how it came about. And they had the situation like, this guy's like the prototype of what we're looking for. I'm like, yeah, but what would happen if you got a limit? And I was like, no, no, no. And she's like, I'm flying out. You need to figure it out. You need to think about it. And it was me and Lidecker was my head of development at the time. And we were like, no, no, no. And this was in the heyday of every big VH1 show that I loved. Like yes. you could not get me away from any flavor of love, rock well, of love. Well, I you love did, New you, York. Well, you did Tila Tequila, right? I mean, that that was like one of the first, you know, celebrity dating shows, right? It was so fun. Well, Abrego was there first, like flavor and all of that okay. was first, to be fair. Um, and I was working on a, a format that was, I didn't even think I knew what a format was one then I was working on an idea that was like a bisexual bachelorette. And that was based on like, we left, I left the bachelor. I loved what Chris was doing with flavor. And I'm like, what's an idea that has not been done before. So we had been chit chatting about it. And then at the time, Jonathan Sweden, who, um, was like the staffing agent at, UTA at the time was like, Hey, you should meet this woman from VH1. She wants to do this dating show or whatever. You'd be perfect. We don't know what the show is, but it's like out there. It's fun. It's young. It's this blah, blah, blah. And I went and met Shelly and she wouldn't tell me what the show was. And as I was leaving, I was like, God, I just love you so much. I want to tell you about this idea that I have to do something like in the bisexual dating space. And I was, and she was like, wait, what? And then she was like, okay, I have to tell you what the show is because that was what she had. She had Tila. Oh, and she was like, oh my God, I was interviewing for a show like this. And I don't want you to think I'm like a bat. That's how we met. Okay. but, but, But to give the audience some context here, you spend how many seasons on The Bachelor? I did about seven and a half, eight, like around that much from, you know, in the beginning, like Lev was there for the launch. Right. And then I came in and kind of like learned from those guys. It was, it was so fun. It was so fun. Well, I, I think I, I've had this conversation before. I want to get your thought as someone who just consumes everything and is, and is a reality TV historian, right? I think The Bachelor is the greatest American created format of all time. American created. Because many of our great reality formats are overseas. I, I, for I, me, it's that and House Hunters. Oh, House Hunters. That is like my bedtime story. Right. right? Like for me, like that's like someone sitting at the end of my bed with a cup of hot milk and reading me a story. I watch it like I can't HGTV, whatever. I'm such an HGTV lover. It's crazy. But do you agree? Like I'm thinking of American made formats. Like if there were two shows that I wish I had that my company Mm -hmm. made that could just live on forever that are just impervious. I think those are the two greatest American made formats ever. I can't think of any other American. I know I'm like, I'm thinking, and I, I don't know that I disagree. Right. Yeah. Like I, and the bachelor, I mean, you guys were creating the system by which all other shows would follow. Right. I mean, that show was creating the blueprint for how these shows are made. We were talking the other night, I did some like HRTS thing and we were talking about like 
even the legal process of like, oh, wait, we're shooting at their houses. We have to clear that, right? Like, do we need a location release for their house? Like the simplest things, which are now like rinse and repeat, yeah. were things that like we were having conversations about that if I had that conversation today, I would be fired. Like, how do you not know this? But like, not, no one knew anything. Right. But I think that also worked to our advantage a little bit. Like, I definitely think that you know, you never want to go back to the wild, wild west of it all, you know, like the craziness and the like, we figured out some stuff to make it tenable, to make it easy to live your life and work and all that kind of thing. And I think that's something that's a testament to every single person in the business. That's like, all right, we figured this out. Now we have to make it like normal. People have to work normal shifts, hours, like all that kind of stuff, which, you know, luckily we've been able to do, but I don't know. On the flip side, I'm like, I think we needed that to jumpstart us. And did everybody, because people have to remember, there was no reality TV training ground. This was a new medium and a new genre. So people that were working on these shows were coming from all ends of, of the industry, of, of like the Hollywood spectrum, some from scripted, some from daytime. Where were people coming from when you first started working on Bachelor? I got to tell you, the fact that I was a daytime producer, which I love, by the way, and I still love it. Like, I love syndication. I'm like getting that itch right now where I'm like, uh-oh, here we go. It's studio time. Um, but it was a deterrent. Like, people necessarily didn't want to hire me because I was a talk show producer. And I think that has turned the corner. And now people are like, wait a minute, if you're a talk show producer, you have figured stuff out in a, in a way that was like, listen, when we were doing shows on teen pregnancy, we were not going on the internet and like looking up Planned Parenthood and doing a post. We were physically finding these people. Like yeah. you were at Planned Parenthood, you were at this, you were at places, you were making calls, making connections and building relationships. Right. I think that's a different way than it is now. I think it's both easier and harder because right now you're like out there and you can reach so many more people so much easier. But I don't know that you have that like loyal, like, hey, we worked together before. Now we have this coming again. And that is something that I try and like for sure instill in the, you know, the younger generation because I'm like, and I know I probably sound like a dinosaur, but I'm like, I know you're texting the assistant. I know you're emailing them. Call them. And have you noticed that they will say they called, but, oh, they, yeah. but they haven't actually called? They've well, I emailed asked. and texted? Yeah. I asked. I, I do said, the same thing. I'm like, did you call or text? Yeah. Because it, it it is a difference, right? And I think there is some, yes, I love the idea of texting and like, keeping up with people and it does make life easier, but I definitely think there is something to the relationship, the FaceTime, the tone in your voice, the misreading of tone, like all that kind of stuff I think is a thing. Okay. So let's get to the launch of Jersey Shore. I'm just going to zip okay. through this. So you work on bachelor for years from that, it leads you to Tila okay. Tequila. You do tool Academy. You're getting these shows under your belt. Is Jersey Shore where 495, your company, gets created? Was that the first show that is running through your company no. and getting a company credit? No. The first show that ever got a company credit was Design Star for HGTV. Oh, I fucking love Design Star. Oh, my God. It was my favorite show of all time. It's my amazing. I don't know why it's still not on air. I don't, I don't make these decisions. I don't get it. It was such a well-produced show for so many seasons. It, I love that show. And they did. They brought it back with other producers. 
and all that kind of stuff. And I, I think it's like, listen, the casting is everything and making it as real as can be is everything. And I think that like my reality training in making that show made it feel a little bit different. Um, I now is that, is that a company credit or is that you are physically running production on that, on the, that first show? It was both. Okay. I, yeah. I was hired to do it, um, working for someone else. And then the network gave the show to me. Got it. So now you're like, oh my God, I'm running a company. Were you ready for that? No, I was not. And I didn't understand what they were asking me to do at the time when they were like, Hey, will you do this for us? I'm like, of course I'm going to do. Why wouldn't I do the show? I love it. And then they gave me a check with too many zeros. And I literally called my agent and accountant, uh, my agent lawyer. And I'm like, I don't, I was like, listen, there's a mispayment here. We have to send this back. And they were like, no, you have to make payroll. And I'm like, I don't think I understand. And then in like 24 hours, I had a, uh, I was incorporated. Like it was, I did not have like a life plan. This was not like, I, I actually think truthfully, like I love being part of a team. Like I love being a number two. Like I like being like, I got it. <laughs> I, I, I personally think that's where my heart is. Right. But you, but you talk about like what the 10,000 hours. So by the time you get to Jersey shore, Mm-hmm. I was, I was looking at this, the show launches December, 2009 and, mm-hmm. and, and forever after that, the reality world, as we know it is, is different. You, from what I can gather, you were 35 years old when that show premieres and is a huge hit 35 years old. Do you know sure. who's now 35 years old? Who? Snooki. I know. Is that crazy to think about? Yeah, it is because I literally also, like I call them kids. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, my kids. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, my kids are like mature, functioning, amazing parents that are doing stuff that, you know, at a certain age, they become your peers. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like right. I look at some of them and I'm like, oh my God, we're like the same age, you know? And um, at the time it just felt like such a big difference, but you know what? I think what I didn't know helped the show in a little bit. And I will definitely say like, um, I was, I don't think anyone was prepared for what was going to come out of that show. I feel like now in dealing with talent coming up in the reality world, you can brace it a little bit easier. But I think the way that that thing shot out of a cannon, myself, the network, all, I think it was kind of like, how do you prepare someone for that? You kind of don't because we never saw it before in that you know, to help them along the way. Like they're getting booked for club appearances, all this stuff now that is like normal. It was, it was happening then, but the prices that they, I mean, the demand for them was so incredible. They were so young. They were so everything. And most of them coming from families that was very similar to mine. And, you know, I remember people being like, are we making fun of them? Are we doing this? And I never saw it that way. And I remember being at a dinner with someone who I worshiped and he was like, why are you doing that to those kids? Like, you know, they live at home and they're doing this. Why would you show people like that? And I was like, and at the dinner, I was so serious. I was Mm. like, I lived at home till I was 26. Mm. Like I was in a twin bed in my parents' house. I was a producer, a daytime talk producer. I could support myself and my family at that point, right? My parents were just regular middle-class, hardworking people. But like my mom would make my lunch for myself and my office mates, right? Because we were all like young and like no one had anything. 
And like, I was like, oh my God, I don't see it that way. I don't see it that I'm showing people that are not at the time, everyone in reality TV had to be rich to be fancy, right? We all looked at the Hills and Laguna, myself included. I love those shows. But this was like celebrating the every man. And I think I just relate to who that is. That is where I come from. That is who I am. I am a, you know, coupon shopper to this day. I, I am like the high, low girl in the craziest way you'll ever see. Yeah. Um, wait, 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 but this, but break for break down for me. Do you remember when you got the phone call with the first ratings? Do you I remember- cried. I cried. Describe the moment for me when you were told it was a hit. Okay. So it's not that like it was the opposite. So I had gotten a deal from Tony DeSanto at Viacom, which was very different than what was going on at the time and still is. And I had a certain amount of like things on my deal, like shows that I can do. And it was the last part of my deal. So if Jersey didn't hit, it was Mm. kind of going to be like done. And it was, it's the type of thing that just guarantees you're going to work. It's not like you're getting a bazillion dollars to be there, but it was like, you're going to have these shows, which as a producer, that's all you want is if you can have any level of stability, you're like, oh my God. And this was like a godsend for me because Tila was my first show that physically ran through 495, 100% right after Design Star that I pitched that I sold, that I whatever. And based off of that, because that was, I think, the show that broke the Osbournes record, right? Because it was Osbournes, then Tila came, right? Then Jers came. Um, But I remember getting the call and I was standing outside the control room at the Tool Academy. And Santos like, we got a one-two. Now today, if I got a one-two, I would be in tears. Um, There would be like a parade in front of my house. You know what I mean? Like from anyone, whatever. But one-two in that day, I was like, oh my God. And I remember that call. And I remember just being like so devastated, thinking like we had to have a two. We had to have a two. And Tony's like, this is good. It's a new show. There's promise. No one knows what it is. And he was like almost consoling me. And I was like, God, I just was expecting so much bigger, blah, blah. And then it just, just kept growing. And it was an interesting thing. I think we didn't realize what we had, but as it started working is when the negative press started coming. Mm -hmm. Right. Of course. So that was also like, okay, this is like a blessing and a curse in one, you know, and it became like that thing where we were always proud of it and you know, it was different. We shot it different. We edited it different. Um, we produced it differently. It was just, but I think that came from not having, I never worked on a docu-series before. I was never on the set of one docu-series in my life. So that was part of it. I think we were just like, all right, this is what we think we should do. And I think not knowing helped us, you know, now I have people on my team that had, um, and that was helpful. But I think that we just went about it with a fresh eye. And I would say in my career, the things that I've been most successful at is when I try something different because you become that hyper-focused and you don't take anything for granted. So you look at something, you're like, I have to figure this out. I can't let it lie. I can't let it die, you know? But, um, but, but also you talk about figuring things out as you go, right? They would bring randos back from the bar Back to the cast house that Viacom is paying for. And yes, you've had these people sign an appearance release, I'm guessing, clearly. But you don't have a background check on these people. 
these are these are randos they just brought back from the bar yeah the process to get in the house is pretty intense i will say it's not like hey sign here and come in right. i mean we have full-on breathalyzers at the door yep um real police scanner machines with ids like it is i would say it probably takes between 30 and 45 minutes to be approved mm. and that's like by design like yeah. you have to really want to do it like you know what i mean some people are like it's a goof and then they're like i don't want to do that you know what i mean um but that's okay you know like we did it that way like on purpose yeah but tell me the tell me the difference you saw from season 1 now you're going back into production and it's season 2 and this thing is now everywhere probably the actual shore is probably now overran with tourists because they've been watching the show. Well, now people two. know where the house. Now people know where the house is. Like, how is it different between? And now the talent knows what it's like to be judged. They they've now seen the media reaction. Was there any big difference from season one to two, given the response of no, actually making uh the show? I will tell you because the truth of the story is, was when it happened, when we did Jersey Shore, we pitched it that every season it would be a different group of people. It was not supposed to be the same group of people. That was not the initial conceit. Right. You know, it was not the intent. So it was supposed to be like real world. Yes. In a way, we were going to do new people every time. Right. The title of the show wasn't, you know, Jersey Shore when they signed on. So they you didn't know. think they didn't think after that season was wrapped, they thought that was it. They didn't think they were going to be coming back. We are all like, if this is a hit, let's all go on a trip together. We our dream was and we all really bonded be in front of the camera and behind. Like, I loved those kids. And we were all like, if this thing's a hit. Maybe we all, none of them had ever been to Italy. And I was like, let's all go on a trip together to Italy to celebrate. And that's why for us, season four, when we went to Italy was so monumental. Yeah. Like it was very emotional for the cast and for the crew because it was like, oh my God, it is like happening, you know, yeah. in that vein. Um, but I don't remember. What did you just ask? Oh, with the difference between season one and season two, you now know, that they're self-aware and now that the world is aware of them being there. At that I house. think what makes that cast so great is that they're self-aware or not, they are who they are. And yeah. I will tell you, I think reality stars in their own right do not get enough credit. Yeah. Because you know what? If Jennifer Aniston signs up, who's one of my favorites, signs up for a movie and her hair looks like crap or this looks big or you don't like her attitude or her part, it's like, oh, it was the writing. It was the part she's playing. People tear apart reality characters. And you forget these are real people that I get it. They've signed up to be on TV. I get all of that. But I think on some level, we don't appreciate enough that it is for our enjoyment. And in times when people are having a bad day or make a bad decision or having a good day or wore the wrong jeans, like whatever it is, I just, it kills me sometimes to basically see how hard people go after them. And I think you can say to people, stay off social media, don't read the comments. And like, Yes, you say it. And yes, I mean it. I also know like it's probably very hard and next to impossible to do. That's right. You it know, and it, and it is very hard. But is that is that part of because I was looking back and I don't have the memory of this. So and, there was none for us. Jersey. What's that? There was no Twitter. Right. Facebook was like barely a thing, you know. But but was there some reason, because I can't remember why it ended after 88 episodes, like why after four seasons did the original run, and I know you did spinoffs with almost every cast member right out of that, and obviously now you're, you're back at it, but why did the original Mothership 
end. Well, you know, at the time, it's like, you know, everyone was kind of moving on. Mm. And, you know, I think with the thing too, it's like when we came back for the second ride, I think, you know, it was my favorite season was season one coming back because everyone was like, wow, you don't know what you have until it's gone. And we're never going to take it for granted again. I think if I was 21 years old and I became, let's just say, the biggest star in the world and President Barack Obama was quoting me at the White House dinner and someone was filling my bank account faster than I could blow it. I don't know you. I think it's like a weird. I I don't even know what it would be like to be in that mindset. I, I can't even pretend and I think that like for a moment, it ran its course. I still think we don't forget Snooki was having a baby. Yeah, there was yeah, so yeah. much happening at that time. And I think it was just like, and again, the ratings were going down, mm. but we would kill for, you know, it was a different right. time. It was a different time. And, you know, maybe the best thing that happened, if I look back, was that it rested. Right. And it took a nap, but like we came back now and I will tell you people, I think they've just been been a part of people's lives. But I think the thing that happens is now when people like, we want a cast that has the relationship that the Jersey cast has, it's like, okay, well, here's how we have to do it. You have to invest in it, right? right. We invested so much time into finding that cast and how we casted that show was very different than how we've casted, you know, how people ask us to cast now. And the thing is people will give us a certain amount of money to cast and then we'll kind of do it. We'll do everything that they've asked for but I just also feel like people like we want that level of a cast. Well, then I have to do that same level of diligence. Right. But to me, it's an investment into multiple seasons. And the reason why that cast has history, people like, I love the history. You can't form that again. You can't take a group of people. You can, if you do it the same way, I'm right. a firm believer. Like we'll go to my grave on that. You just need someone to say, let's go like party down South to me was one of my, I will tell you, I talk to that cast still all the time. I love that cast forever grateful. Not one bad day, not one middle finger, like ever. There's never been anything, but like that I cast and produced the exact same way I did jurors. And if MTV, not MTV, if CMT had not done that, like we're going over to the family group thing. Yeah. Dinsmore was the head of that network. And we were about to go down the path of doing, you know, the dating show for daddy, the, the, this for this, the spinoff of that, the game version, we were heading down that path. And that show had such a cult following. I mean, yep. on CMT, we were the number one show of all time. And we were in, we did seven seasons fast. Seven seasons. And that was during, you know, when Jers was taking a nap. Right. Party Down South came and it fulfilled that thing. And I still believe that that's a show that like, that's a title and a show that is like, resurrect me now. Easily. Easily. And, 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 and even though that show was a hit, it's not to the point where they're going to be judged against the previous cast, whatever newcomers you bring in. Like that legacy can live on with, with a new cast and you won't get any blowback, I think, from that. Listen, I think you're going to get hate whenever you launch a new cast, but I also think it's the people are going to love it or hate it, right? right? Like they're going to come and check it out to hate watch it and be terrible. If the show's not good, they're not going to stay. You mentioned the kind of changing landscape with Viacom and CMT moving over a different group. When I was going through all your all your hits, when we pour one out, 
for another lost era of the MTV strip five day a week show. Like MTV was basically in the syndication business for a long time. And we just forget about that. We just forget about how people were building their companies on these five day a week shows. And you did friend zone. You did friend zone for 106 episodes. One of my favorite shows of all time. And it's a show that I believe should live today. Like literally should live today. Like when you look at like help, I want to, you know, uh, I'm dating a stranger, like all that stuff. The angst and anxiety that is built into friend zone is more real than any other show we've ever done based on that concept. Cause that okay. concept basically came from the fact that and, you know, I was sitting on a couch as a 35 year old sitting next to a guy who I'm now married to. And I'm like, am I in the friend zone? Like, what is this? Like, I like, like this guy. Do I tell him? Do I not tell him? And I whipped out my laptop and just wrote it up. Right. And, and then like a second later, two days later, a friend of mine that worked for me came to me. He's like, I have this idea for a show. He's like, it's called friend zone. And I was like, wait, what? And I literally pulled up my computer, went like this and showed him because I was like, I want you to know that I have this written up. I was like, I'll bring you along for the ride for me with me um, and give you a piece because that's crazy. And we basically then went ahead and did it. But I love those shows. I watched all of it. Dismissed. Next. Oh. Friend Zone. I mean, Tattoo Nightmares. Did Repo Games. Like we did all of those shows. And the truth of the matter is, I think that's why House Hunters wound up becoming so successful. Because there is not that late night thing. Well, House Hunters is great. Don't get me wrong. But for me, it fills that gap right. where you know that you can go every night at 10 p.m. And that's where it is. But like, think back to the early days. I was watching Studs. Studs was the original. Oh, Studs was the best. But like those shows are missing. That's why when I, you know, when um, I think it's Cheeks just decided to put on At Midnight afterwards. That's right. Um, after uh, instead of Corridan, I was like, that is that's what we need. Like those late night strips is, I actually thought they were gonna take the daily show. I'm like, I would put the daily show on after that. Cut costs, you're airing the thing. It's a new audience. Colbert's already there. Like I secretly sit in my house and program just to myself, but I'm like, I would move this here. I would do this, that. Like I love the business side of it. And I love the research. Like when I become like friendly with a network executive, I become such a nerd. I'm like, is there any research you can share with me? They're like, why do you care? I just am fascinated by how and why people watch. I you see you have you have a, a really cool looking backdrop there. That must be your, your home office. You know yeah. what I you know what I always wished I had? I always wish what? I had those old school, like 1980s network schedules with like the Rigs. magnet, the magnet strips, and it's all the oh. primetime lineups. Like I've always, I've always wanted one of those, even though I, they're- I just look at people and I'm so fascinated. Like people be like, why are they doing that? Why are they doing that? And people will say it with snide uh, comments sometimes. And I'm also like, I look at it a different way. Like, why are you doing that? <laughs> clearly you have this job at a network because you're good at it, right? Like love, like, or whatever. I'm like, you're good at it. I'm like, what is the thought behind it? And a lot of times I think everyone's so quick to judge without hearing like the story, the history and knowing why things are happening. And like, I think that makes you a better producer to kind of like understand the why. And I think like, it could come off the wrong way if you're like saying to a network executive, but like, why would you do that? Not this. It's like, for me, it helps me then just like 
look at what I'm pitching and look at what I'm making and try and follow the trends that they're following. Because the network execs have to be a year or two in front of us. If they're at the same place we are, we're all in bad shape. And I think they don't get enough credit for trying to predict what's going to happen. And, you know, their skin is in the game. You know, like our skin is in the game too, but we can't get a, you know, I always say I need a swing to get a hit. Right. Right. And I need them to give me a swing. And sometimes it is like, you know, are you right for this show? But you can also get pigeonholed. Like I like doing different kinds of shows. Like one of our favorite shows was blue collar millionaires that we did. That was in such a fun ride. Was that CNBC? Yeah. It was CNBC. Look at that. Look at that. And that was like a great fun, you know, show for us as well. Um, And also, but to to speak to like the diversity of your slate and everything you've done, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think enough people know that you did the real, the syndicated talk show. I don't think enough people know that, that you created that and also show ran that. And I was like, how on earth did she have the time to show run a daily talk show while running a production company? That one, yeah. I, and this is 2013. I mean, you, you've you already like built a huge business for yourself and now you go back to show running and you're on a talk show. I mean, that is, that's a whole company unto itself running a daily talk show. I kind of loved it. I love, I love the syndication market. I actually love the daytime audience. And I think it, I think it went to why I leaned so heavily into the strip ability. Like we did so many strip shows coming up. Um, cause I think I love that. And, and listen, it's where I was born, right? It's where I learned everything going back into it as now the person that's in charge, I guess you would say was definitely like, wow, there's a lot going on here. Like being at nappy and sitting with the station groups and like, you know, yep. shucking your jive. I kind of loved it. And again, like ugh, that team was so good. God, did you have good. the panel? Did you have the panel when you walked that in or were you just walking in a premise? Um, I did not have the panel. Okay. I had Hillary Esty, um, who was a longtime like person that I looked up to and met a bunch of times and worked for here and there. But because I did like a limited, I worked onto Alex Duda. That was the first show she ever sold. I was her casting director. Um, and with Jill Mulligan Bates, like that whole crew, she called me and she's like, I want to do something new. I want to do something fresh. I want to do um a talk show. Um, a panel talk show, but I want it to be different. And I want it to be for the kind of audiences that you reach. And we went in and she's like, the only thing is I don't want anyone on the panel to really, I don't want it to be a bunch of reality stars. I don't want this. I don't want that. Like, I don't want people to have been on reality TV. And every single one of them had been on reality TV <laughs> or had a show currently where we landed. She was like, huh, here it goes. So and- you, did you come in and basically present a bunch of segment ideas? We did. We came in and said, here's our concept. Here's how we want to roll it out. Here's how we want it to sound. Mm. And I think the biggest light bulb moment for us all where we had the biggest laugh of all time was in the set meeting. Because, you know, every company, whether it be telepictures, CBS, like everyone has their vibe and their look. And it's, you know, it's by the person at the top. And I think Hillary's shows always look so clean and classy and all that kind of stuff. And I wanted this show to be sassy, funky, cool, hip. And so when I remember Anton Goss, best in the business. Oh, yeah. And oh, I yeah. were... And I was like, hey, I'm doing this thing for telepictures. And he had done my Nashville star set. He had done the set for Design Star, like all these big. And I was like, I want you to do this set for me. He's like, okay. He's like, oh, he brings me this drawing. He's like, I've been thinking, I know Hillary will love this. I'm like, I know she'll love it too. 
um, that's great. Here's what I want to do. I want it bejeweled. I want it white. I want like it backlit. He's like, you want the table bejeweled? I'm like, I want it. He's like, she's going to have a stroke. And I remember like laughing a little bit and us being, and I was like, look. You're like, I want I want the juicy couture sweat outfit of, of talk show sets, basically. Well, I felt like it was hip. I felt like the girls on that panel were different and amazing and were reaching a different audience and were celebrating life in a different way. Yeah. Right. Like Ellen was having her moment and doing all her stuff. That was fantabulous. Bethany was coming out. You know, there was all those shows. I'm like, there was no one for the women at home. There's no one for someone that, that feels like it's a girlfriend's. You know, where you feel like you can just chit chat at the end of the day, put your kids to sleep, play it back and be like, oh, I went out for an hour. But also, like this is also this is 2013. So these are for the women that grew up in like the late 80s, born in the late 80s, you know, came up in the 90s and are just becoming moms, just coming into like their professions themselves. Right. It's a different era of women in daytime. I agreed. And so when I showed Hillary the set, she like literally was like, uh, and I remember we have like a big, she's like, do you love it? I'm like, I love it. <laughs> and she's like, let's enter. She's like, let's go. And I was like, can I add some more bejewel? And like, you know what? She was so supportive and it was, and it was Sheila at that time and Tommy. Oh my God. It was the greatest group of women over there. And they were just like, let's give it a go. We're trying something different. And we went in and pitched it for the summer test, I think in May. And we did the summer test that July. And I remember being so nervous because we were up against the Chris Jenner talk show. Mm. And I was still am, I am in awe of her. I think she's a genius a great business person. I was on a panel with her one time and I've never met anyone kinder. Mm. Um, super sweet to us and like to everyone around. I mean, she was just so lovely. And I just remember being like, oh my God, you know, like we're never gonna, you know, how do we go up against Chris in a weird way? Right. And we just went for it. And I was like, we are different than her. We are going for a different audience and we're gonna go hard. And we did. And it was really like an amazing, that theme song came on the first day and I was standing at that podium, um, you know, as an EP, which is something that like, you know, you think of like Gelman growing up and like totally. Amy Rosenblum was my person, Bert Brow. You think of all these daytime people that you have worked with that were the people, the goddesses of the business. And you're just standing at the thing and I'll never forget the first show. I can almost cry now. And that theme song came on and those girls were in the back. And um, in my living room right now, uh, the, a week before the show happened, they had two paintings to deliver to my house, one in black with white letters and one in white with black letters. And it says, don't fuck it up. And um, Telepictures had it delivered to me. And it's, it, they had it. And I was like, okay, well, where we know where we stand. Cause every day they'd be like, what are you going to do? How's this? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just going to try not to fuck it up. That's all I would ever say. But what, a, what a full circle moment for you. I mean, you're already a huge success in the reality TV world, launched a company. You're doing well. At that point, you've already sold your company. Oh no, you're about to sell your company to Fremantle. So you're doing well at this point, but it's a full circle personal moment for you having come up on Sally Jesse. And now here you are standing at the podium of a talk show that you birthed. Yeah. And when this theme song came on, I remember those girls coming out and I, I will tell you involuntary could not get it to stop steady stream. 
of just tears came down my face because I was like, this is not real. Like we picked that theme song. Like I was in the Bay with Hillary. It was us two. We had all these tracks and like we played them for the girls and we let the girls vote. And I think that was also a thing. I felt like we really gave the girls a voice in that, like, what do we want this to be? And I think in including them, instead of like cultivating this person and this is your talk show and this is the vibe, we were like, you're this, you're this, you're this, don't change a thing. Right. And okay. those girls were amazing. Okay. Uh, home stretch here. You got to tell yeah. me how the hell does Martha and Snoop come together? Who thinks this up? How does this even happen? Had they even met previously to them getting paired up? Like, yes. tell, me, tell me how this works. Well, I will tell you, and this is like all credit to McCarthy, like okay. straight up so much fun. He had just gotten the job at VH1 and I had never met him and it wasn't even announced yet. And my age was Brett Hansen. My agent was like, Hey, there's this guy who's taking over the reins at VH1. It's super quiet. It's not announced yet. He just wants to like get to know a few people. And I was like, okay. So I went to, he's like, just go to a breakfast. It's like super casual. He's super cool. Just, you know, whatever. Don't, I go, do I bring anything? Like, should I be pitching? He's like, no, don't be crazy. Like, you're just meeting the guy. Just sit there and like, just once, normal. please, Sally, and just, just chill. Just be chill. normal, right? I'm like, 87 pitches. I'm ready to go. Um, and I, we sit down and we're having breakfast. And I remember it was a soupy rainy day in LA. And I just remember he walked in and he sat down and we just started chatting. And it was a really fun meeting. And he literally was like, so, all right, what do you think should be on VH1 that's not on VH1? Um, what do you, you got to pitch me? And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not here to pitch, blah, blah, blah. He goes, you're a producer. Of course you have something in your back pocket. Oh my God. He's so right. He's so and right. He was so right. And I like kind of smiled. He goes, okay, what's the one thing that like people would think you're crazy. I'm like, I would die to do a cooking show. I was like, I think we should do a cooking show on VH1. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah, it could be this versus this. It could be band versus this. Like it, I had like all these things and he was like, all right, I'm going to make five. Let's do five hours. And I was like, oh, okay. It was literally like that. And I was like, five okay. hours of what? Five, you didn't yeah. pick, you didn't have talent. I didn't have anything. He's like, but that is funny. He's like, I want to try some cool stuff. I want to try a couple of different swings. Let's give it a shot. Like, let's give it a shot. So I'm like, okay. He's like, go back and think on it and like, send me stuff. I'm like, okay. So I go back and I remember calling my agent being like, is this real? Like, is this guy just buy a show like this? Like, I've never had anyone buy a show like this. Now, is he saying let's let's pilot five different things? Or is he saying no. I'm giving you a standing blind five episode order? Five episode order. Okay. And he's like, it's one hour. Let's go. And it was, I left the meeting. I was like, great. He's like, let's stay in touch. I'm like, perfect. Okay. Like, this is great. Is this a new guy in charge? Like, this is good for me. Like, I'm loving this. Um, okay. Um, and then I call my agent. I'm like, is this real? He's like, I, I mean, I don't think he would say it if it's not. He calls and he's like, uh, not lip service. This guy's a man of his word. He wants to do it. And then I was in New York like three weeks later. I went with like a talent list and we were sitting there and we kind of made it. We were joking back and forth and we were putting people's names that were like very realistic. Like, oh, this would be a good fit. And this would be a good fit. And we were literally just laughing and having breakfast. And he's an early bird also. So um I think that's where our initial can like started was like, oh, I'm up at three. What are you doing? Um, and we made a joke at the table about Martha and Snoop. And I was like, well, do you know them? I don't know them. Do you know them? I don't know them. He's like, all right. He goes, all right. 
if you get Martha and Snoop, we'll double the order down and we'll go to 10. I was like, wait, what? And so now I'm like, all right, I don't know Martha. I certainly don't know Snoop. Um, I got to figure this out. And we got a meeting with calls, calls, calls. Snoop's team finally calls back and goes, I don't know, go talk to Martha. And I had seen the roast, the Comedy Central roast, and I just loved their dynamic on that show. No, no, remind the audience, which roast is this? Who's getting um, roasted? Oh, God, who are they roasting? Why don't I remember? Was it the roast of Martha Stewart? No. They were both on the panel together. She was sitting next to him and like- Okay, so they were on the dais together for somebody yeah. else's roast. Okay. Yes, yes, maybe, yes, yes. Maybe it was like the Bieber roast. Maybe it was It was like the Bieber that. roast. It was the Bieber roast. I'm sorry. It was the Bieber roast. Right. And I was like, God, their dynamic is just so funny because we were talking about like matchups and stuff. And we kind of looked at each other and I was like, all right, let me go figure this out. And I left and I was like on a mission. And I remember we, I got a meeting with Martha and I went back and I put together and I've never been so scared to meet with someone in my entire Wait, no, life. No, where is Martha at this point? She is, she has gone to prison at this point. She's gone to prison. She's back from prison. She's she, back. She has, she has no other syndicated shows or anything else going on at this no, moment. She is back in her lair. She is like sitting at this beautiful office on 26th street. We're probably and very protective of herself at this point in terms of incoming calls, right? I would say so. There was a person that was running her team at the time who I think was highly creative and very um, protective of Martha. Right. Her name is Kim Miller. She's amazing. Right. And, um, I got on the phone with her and I was like, look, this is a real call. Here's what it is. This is what it is. Blah, blah, blah. And we started talking back and forth. She kept calling me. She met with me first. I came back to LA and she's like, all right, we're going to set a meeting with Martha. So I'm like, okay. So I had all this pitch material of everything that I wanted it to do. And we were uh, 24 hours from getting on the plane. And I was like, there's just something not sitting right with me about it. And meanwhile, like you're getting the incoming calls, like, have you made any progress yet? I'm like, getting there. You know, like you're like a downplaying how far off you are. You're like, I am so not even near having these two. It's not funny. Um, um, and to VH1's credit, they were all very patient. And at the end of the day, what we did was I said to uh, my producer that was helping me put it together. I was like, Kyle, we need to, I feel like I don't like the paper it's printed on. I want magazine stock paper. This is how I want it done. This is how I want the tabs. We got to go to like a place that makes books and we're going to go in there and this is going to be a hard copy pitch book. And that like you're leaving in 24 hours. I'm like, yeah. And we're going to find the place that does it. I just feel like in my heart of hearts, we sat down in the meeting in Martha's office. I remembered lunch came in. Some cart got wheeled in with salmon and it was like sitting in front of us. And Martha was like, isn't this the prettiest salmon you've ever seen? It's the most, the pink color. And I was like, oh, this is such a surreal moment. And I am such a Martha fan. Like you don't even know I worship this woman. And I'm sitting there and I hand her the book and she opens it and she flips the page and she feels the paper on the page. And she shuts the book and she looks at me and she's like, what kind of paper did you use? And I say, oh, it's blah, 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 stock, blah, 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 blah. She's like, why did you use that? I'm like, because I felt like if I just printed it on regular paper, the detail and the colors were not going to come through as much. And I wanted, I know what your business is and I know what you're about and like quality is everything. And that's kind of what you're known for. And she goes, your attention to detail and the fact that you're thinking about that makes me feel safe. 
And she's like, that is someone who studied me, studied my brand and understand what's important to me. Um, and I feel like um, I'm going to do it. And I was like, what? And then what happened was she called Snoop. She called Snoop. She called Snoop. And she's like, all right, we're going to do this. <laughs> they had already talked about it. And basically Snoop basically said to Martha, I'm in if you're in and you need to. And Martha's like, all right, let me get involved. Let me vet it. Because for Snoop, it was a different type of risk than it was Martha. For Martha, it was a quality, you know, all that kind of stuff. And um, I left Martha's office and I was like, all right, now I got to go get to Snoop. And then I got back to LA and I met with his team and they were like, he's in, he's in, he's in, he's in, he's in. And then they're like, well, he'll meet you at the show. And I was like, oh, cause we didn't do a pilot. And so the day before rehearsal was the first time I met Snoop. And I was like, are we in? Like, we're good. Like contracts were being negotiated. Everything was happening. Everything was running kind of through Martha. I was and you haven't even spoken to him. No, but I talked to his team incessantly. Right. And then finally, I'm like, I'm just nervous. Like, I've never done it like this. So finally, they're like, all right, I get it. You're that girl. <laughs> and so my phone rang and he's like, hey, I'm in. What do you need? Here are the things I want to cook. Here's what I don't want to cook. This is what I want to do. This is what I don't want to do. Anything inside of this box is great. And you got to get through Martha. He's like, if you can get anything through Martha, I'm your girl. Oh my, okay, now hold on a second. So this production schedule, because it is it is Snoop and Martha, and what I've heard about Snoop is you just going to make use of Snoop's time. 100%. So, so did you shoot a whole season? It's 10 episodes. So did you shoot a whole season in like a week and a half? No, a week? week and a half would be long, four days. Four days, 10 episodes. Four days, 10 episodes, season one, no pilot, let's go. Nice to meet you, let's shoot this thing. Oh my God, that's amazing. It was and did so- you, and, did, and, when you, and when you presented it to Martha- in the book, was the book laying out that this was basically going to be like a buddy comedy? Like that, like that was going to be I the dynamic? We, no, I think we hoped that. And I think we leaned into it. And I think that um, we leaned into their relationship for sure. But I think it just like kind of became that. And it really was a matter of how we produced it and how we edited it. And basically, I will tell you, you know, we used to do these table, you know, table reads, like, this is what's going to happen. Like, you're going to come out, not like scripting, but in the sense like that. And I was always like, I wanted to stop doing them. Mm. Because what would happen in those rooms sometimes when we were prepping them? Well, I was like, this is so insane. Like, I remember with like Post Malone, she's like, what? Who? Huh? And I was like, okay, this is what we should have on stage. Right. And that's kind of what we started doing is but, just like running with it. But what that was the moment for me that should have a whole other life? But what was the moment you knew you had the show? Given that you didn't have a lot of prep with them, with them physically, what was the moment you're like, oh my God, there's magic between these two? It was episode one, honestly, because the, ep the first show we shot, it was Snoop and Martha. It was Seth Rogen. It was Wiz Khalifa. And it was iced tea. And if you want to, I've never seen a more bananas situation. And everyone's like, you have to do this. You have to do this. We got to keep to time. And like, we had a whole different thing planned. And it was like, kind of like, that's where my Jersey training in a, in a different format or my docu training in a different format is helpful because all of a sudden I'm like, take the script. You could have thrown it in the air for all I cared. All right. Yeah. Last Last thing, because yeah. I got to let you go. You've been very, very giving with your time. 
What's the one piece of great advice you got along the way as a producer that you would pass on to others before we go? One was from Judy Gerard when I was doing Design Star season one. Um, she basically said to me, I have to be very honest with you. This is what's going to happen. Here's who my core is. I'm going to give you the research on my core. Okay. I'm going to give you free reign. You're going to cast this thing. You're going to do the challenges. You are going to make sure that every person that you cast, my, my core will come to watch and every challenge, my core will come to watch. Then I need you to look at the same challenges and say, I need 20 new people to like it as well. Who are 20 people that are not watching our network that will watch? And how can you get them here in order to make it a success? You can do not alienate my core. You make sure you respect, love, and worship my core like I do. And then you figure out how to add other people to it. And then the other one just comes from my dad. I have to be honest. My dad's like, you know what? No one's going to give you anything. And the minute you expect something is the last time you're going to get it. Mm. You need to know that you're only as good as your last day, your last test score. That's how the world's going to look at it. You shouldn't look at yourself that way, but that's the world. You're as good as your last and early bird gets the worm. You may get just as much as everyone else. You may not be as smart as everyone else. You may not be as rich as everyone else, but if you work harder than everyone else, you can get there. And that is basically, you know, what it, what it is. And I think that, I think I don't take that for granted now. I would say most days on my first one in and my last one out. And I don't say that because I don't have, I have the, and also you're as good as your team. And I would say I've been very lucky and have really great teams, but I also think I love people that love reality TV. I think I've surrounded myself with people that are not only great at their jobs, but are like borderline reality junkies as well. Like, I think there's a certain type. Um, and I, if you ask me, like my husband said to me the other day, what's your end game? You know, how does this end for you? And I was like making dinner and I was at the stove and like my back was- I just imagine him rolling over saying that at four o'clock in the morning as you're wake as, as he's waking up. Like, oh what is God. your end game? Like, how is this going to end? Like, I don't remember what was happening, but like something- <laughs> He's like, does this end? Like, how does it end for you? Like, right. what do you think? And I was making dinner and I had my back to the thing and I'm like, I don't know. And I was sitting there and I had like a- And he could see out of the side of my face that I had a little smirk. He goes, say it just say it. What were you thinking? What made you smirk? And I'm like, I want it to end in a box. He goes, I go, they carry me out in a box. He goes, what does that even mean? I'm like, like a coffin. He's like, what? I was like, if I feel like if I died in a control room, not tomorrow, I don't want to die tomorrow. But if I was like in there making it happen uh, in like until I, the last day, great. I was like, for right now, I still love this. And I honestly will say, I think when you stop loving it, it's time because there is no, it, the industry is harder than it's ever been. And I think that I can't imagine the two things in the world that are the worst things to do if you don't like it is don't cook if you don't like it and don't make reality TV if you don't love it because it takes so much time, so much effort. There's so much prep cleanup, shopping <laughs> mess that go along with both of them. Angry, angry customers. Yeah. yeah. Customers are not satisfied. Um, all that kind of stuff. But I, I truly believe that like, I'm lucky and, um, I'm grateful. I'm just grateful. Like I will genuinely say I am grateful. There has been so many people along the way that have been, um, loyal 
And I think that that's something this industry doesn't get enough credit for. And I would say some of my biggest downfalls in my career have come from being too loyal, but I will be loyal to a fault um, because I feel like in the end, it all comes back around. You're the best. I don't know. I'm not. I'm just okay. Thanks for doing this. No problem. Sorry it took so long. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? You're a little busy. Yeah, it's been a little nuts, but- Was this okay? It was great. It was great. I'm busy trying to get busy right now, right? Like that's the hardest thing. Like we're all busy trying to get busy. I'm going to let you go back to that other monitor sitting on your desk as you watch whatever show you're filming right now. Uh, (laughs) As I'm talking to you, I have like Snooki, JWoww, you know, Sammy and Dina rocking out. Well, tell them hi for me. I will. Thank you, Sally Ann. All right. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.